When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. today's podcast we're going to talk about some RPO and how that fits into the run game we'll take a a look at developmental leagues and we've seen a lot of those in the past unfortunately when when COVID hit those shut down but how important they are to the game and finally stepping out of uh, your comfort zone to develop as a coach and find new opportunities and joining me to talk about all those things is the former OC and quarterbacks coach at the San Antonio Commanders of the AAF Matt Troxel. Matt, it's great to have you here on the podcast. Yeah, thanks, Keith. Thanks for uh, having me on. But I'm a listener, so I was uh, happy that I was able to join. So, love the show. Well, again, thanks for being here. And like most coaches, uh, there's some kind of a football background. And, and for you, uh, that was a, a big part of your start in coaching. You grew up with it with your father as a high school football coach, a grandfather uh, who was uh, coach at Idaho and then a, a high school coach in the Northwest. So you have that background that certainly, I think when you grow up with some of that, I, I was the same way. You're around it all the time. It's just something you gravitate towards doing. Um, but beyond that, coach, what were some of those things early on that I guess developed you as a coach, developed you into the coach that you are today? Uh, yeah. So I, uh, you know, Ultimately, you know, just growing up, my dad, Van Troxel, um, 38 years, high school head coach at uh, Lake City High School in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, um, you know, going to practice every day and just, you know, just be able to be around him and how you treat players and how you treat the kids and, you know, truly getting them to understand that you, you know, my dad was a master at getting guys to, um, you know, play hard and not whether, you know, get them to develop in the weight room, whether they were a football player or not, but just getting kids to believe that you're there for them and want to make them better. Um, so I tried to take that over into the, you know, into my experience with college football as a player. And then as a coach, um, you know, I started out at the played at the university of Montana end of my career. I, I got hurt and kind of got to, had to figure out, you know, what I wanted to do. And I knew I wanted to coach. So I started helping out and, uh, you know, Rob Fennessy, um, was our offensive coordinator there. And, you know, Fenn just had a huge impact on me and how you, uh, how you operate as a, as a coach and how you break down tape and, you know, how you put a scouting report together and just the little things that as I was starting out that I, you know, putting in the extra hours to sort through what the, 
what to do, um, you know, how to watch. Uh, I remember one of the first times being in the press box with him on a game day, he said, Hey, you know, you're not a fan here watching. You've got a, you're watching the coverage, keep your eyes on the secondary. And, and that's what you're watching. Don't watch the play, watch the secondary and how they move. And, and for me, that was just a, a great tip to, to get started. Um, you know, from, from there, I, I went to the university of Idaho as a grad assistant under coach, uh, head coach Rob Aikie and our offensive coordinator, Steve Axman was a, you know, a, a longtime veteran in, in coaching. And, you know, I thought, uh, really Axe really taught me how to be a professional and how you carry yourself on a, on a day-to-day basis with dealing with conflicts in the office and, you know, how to, how to deal with the staff and, you know, and keep a good rapport with everybody. I, I really enjoyed that with him. Um, another thing I thought was really unique about my experience with Coach Axman, um, when I got there as a grad assistant, he said, hey, you came here not just to coach, you're going to get your master's. And, you know, Coach Axman had two, two different master's degree. And, you know, he's also written a, a ton of books and he, you know, really made that emphasis. He goes, if anybody tells you you have to do something and you can't go to class, you tell me because going to class and you're getting your master's and you're going to do everything we need to do football wise, you can get it all done. And I think a lot of times in college football, that piece gets lost. I know a lot of coaches that, uh, you know, were are a few credit shorts that maybe wish that they had somebody that said it made that part of it important also, um, you know, that there's more to this than just working in the office football wise. I do think that's, that's important. I thought that was a huge impact for me early on is to put, family and school and football in perspective also, because we get lost sometimes in the football piece of it. Those are some really good mentors there. I know Steve Axman through, uh, through his books, through his, his videos. And I have several of them on my shelf uh, somewhere. I have v- VHS tapes or DVDs from, I don't even have a DVD player in my house anymore, but um, you know, Ax is a, a, a great resource for everybody before this, uh, this internet boom and everything being on, um, you know, out there digitally, uh, he really did a great job of explaining the ins and outs of all the things you need to do. Really, I, I think the, the, the some of the resources I had was just about being an offensive coordinator. So I'm sure there's a lot of great things you picked up from him. Totally. And he uh, he actually encouraged me. I, uh, I wrote a book um, as I was finishing as a GA um, you know, coaching wide receiver play, I was able to, he encouraged me to write it and I got it, ended up getting it published by coach's choice. Um, and what's funny is it was going to start off as just a, a master's kind of thesis project is just to, you know, put together a wide receiver manual and potentially try to get an article published and Axe, who's written, you know, over, what did he say? Like over 25 books in his career goes, well, you know, if you're going to write an article, just write 12 of them. And now you've got a, yourself a book and you can get it published. <laughs> and I was going, well, that's easy for you to say, actually, you've written 25 books, but right. I'm 24 years old, trying to just finish. And so I, I wrote it all through a, a summer with his help. And I would, uh, would bring in the drafts to him, um, you know, and he would go through it like with a red pen, just like I was in high school and just mark it all up. Nope. You don't want to say this. You want to reword this, rethink this part. Um, yeah. And I ended up and he pushed me to, to go for it and get it published. I'm really happy that I had that support and that he, he pushed me because it was something I didn't think I could, could do, you know? So you did spend some time then, um, at Idaho state working in a number of different positions and that really, 
opened up your perspective to the game, helped you understand probably uh, the whole picture of, of offense and being able to work with all those positions. Talk to us a little bit about, you know, w- what we said early on, that one of the things we were going to talk about is is being able to step outside of your comfort zone and learn new things. Yeah, so I uh, yeah, I spent two years at Idaho as a GA, and then I um, I took a job with uh, with Mike Kramer um, at the at Idaho State University. Um, what the spring of 2011, um, you know, it was a unbelievable experience, and Coach Kramer was was great to me, and really allowed me to grow in all sorts of different ways as a coach, and you know, entrusted that he he felt like I was a good teacher and could figure out the the different roles. And so he put me in some positions that I probably wasn't qualified for, but you had to, you had to figure it out. Cause when you get in front of the kids, you gotta, you know, they've got to feel the confidence and that you know what you're doing and they can believe what you're, what you're teaching, what you're all about. Um, yeah. So I came from a skill, a wide receiver, um, you know, skill background. I did do one year as a, with, uh, with Dan Finn in the O-line in Idaho as a GA. Um, but I get to Idaho state. I was the, the tight end coach in 2011. Um, you know, uh, 2012 was able to, to move and he, he let me do the special teams, um, and coach the inside receivers, the slots and the tight ends. And then the big real jump for me was, uh, to going into 2013, our, our offensive line coach had left. And so I, you know, I came into coach Kramer and I, I knew the job was available and I'd had a little bit of a background in it. And I just said, Hey, you know, I know, I know I can work well with, with Don Baylor, our offensive coordinator, and we have a good relationship and I think I can help make this position better and give them a different perspective on, on how offensive line play works. And, and he gave me the job and yeah, we were able to go, uh, you know, it was probably the most, some of the most fun coaching I've had in three years. Uh, you know, we went from what, 2012, I think we, we gave up like 70, 72 sacks, something crazy um, to fast forward to 2014. We, we threw the ball over 500 times and got sacked 14 times. And um, for me, a lot of it was just being uncomfortable talking to a lot of different coaches on, on how to teach technique and how to teach scheme. And, you know, and then adding some of my, you know, value, I was able to get the tackles to read safety rotation and understand when pressure's coming, when it's not, uh, we were able to, you know, change the slide with the O-line based off safety rotation, not to what was going on in the box, which I thought was, you know, unique. Um, and really, and really develop there. Um, yeah. And then from there, after, uh, after 15, then I was, a, you know, our offense coordinator left and he uh, let me be uh coach, the, move the quarterbacks and, uh, and start running the offense, which uh, was fun then to just kind of be able to put it all, all my thoughts together along with coach Kramer and, and develop an offense. So from there though, you, you moved from being an offensive coordinator to, an offensive quality control assistant at Oregon State. And, again, one of those situations where uh, you're, you're making a move, probably stepping out of your comfort zone somewhat. You have you know, a good position at Idaho State. Uh, but you're going to do some new things. And I think when I look at guys who, who make that move and get into the, either the analyst or the quality control, you kind of have an opportunity, again, to look at the game in a different way, right? When you're analyzing things and you step back and, and don't have that primary focus on developing a position, you, you are able to see the game in some different ways. So for you in filling that role at Oregon State, what were some of the things that uh, you know really came to the forefront for you as 
important things in this game, things you need to pay attention to, uh, the detail-oriented part of this? Yeah, you know, uh, yeah, coming from, you know, I'd spent seven years at Idaho State, uh, six with Mike Kramer, then my last year, 2017, with Rob Fennessy as the head coach. And, you know, I felt like I was able to really develop as a coach almost through trial and error because you, you know, you're – like we talked about earlier, just you're, you're thrusting the fire where you're in front of those, those offensive linemen or now you're calling an offense for a first time, you know, and the, the kids thought that they have to have confidence that you know what you're doing, um, whether you probably do or not. And, um, you know, so I was able to really felt like kind of, through, again, trial and error to develop myself and offensively kind of my philosophy. Um, but I was getting to a point where I really felt like I needed to step almost step away and get around other people and just get more ideas and more thoughts. Um, so Jonathan Smith, he got the, the job at Oregon state. Um, he was the quarterback coach at Idaho when I was a GA there. So I was able to, to hook up with coach Smith and then Brian Lindgren as the offensive coordinator, who's both those two had a huge impact in just my one year there. Um, and I think what was really fun about it, what you're talking about, Keith is being able to step out. And when you're not having to run, the offense on a day-to-day basis, you're not having to, you know, purely be in charge of a group. Are they going to class? Are they not? You know, here's my recruiting area. All I did was um, I was basically Brian's, you know, kind of uh, right-hand man. I'd help him um, in Kefensa Hanson, the receiver coach game plan, and that was their, you know, the advanced scout. So I would watch third downs and red zone the day before, would come in with, you know, a list of play calls and you know, say, Hey, these are good thoughts. I like on third medium, third and long. And, you know, they were looking for somebody that had been, had called plays before and not just, you know, somebody that's going to watch the video, but actually offers up ideas and thoughts of what, what we do. And for me, then on the side, I was able to watch a ton of NFL video, a ton of video from other people around the country that we were studying outside of the PAC 12 and really felt like I was able to gain and really grow my, my knowledge. Um, just through being exposed to more ideas and different ways of doing it. Um, you know, at one point when we were putting in a new offense, uh, we're sitting in the room and it's, it's me and Brian and uh, my uh, coach Riley, that's where I met him and had come in and coach Riley's sitting there and, and Jonathan. So we're talking about just, you know, how do we want to put an offense together? And you've got, for me, I was just so lucky to be around these great offensive minds and um, you know, it, just being in that position to be exposed to more, more knowledge and more people in different ways of doing it. And, you know, coach Riley would say, Hey, well, when I was the OC at, you know, at USC in 94, this is what we did, you know, and we go, Oh, well, that makes a lot of sense, you know? And so just being able to see different, different ways to do things was, was huge for me. Um, And I think sometimes guys, you have to not be afraid to be, you know, again, get yourself comfortable being uncomfortable and, you know, get out of your, your world and expose yourself to new ways of doing things because there's a million ways to do stuff in football. Well, one of those new ways of doing things was what the uh, Alliance of American Football came up with, a developmental league that uh, you moved on and became the offensive coordinator at San Antonio, the San Antonio Commanders under, under head coach Mike Riley. And uh, some different parameters there as far as how the 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 game's gonna operate uh for me just thinking back to that that you know obvious things like the limited special teams but then other things that got to be a little bit more complex I'm sure some things that the officials had to deal with and learn to do uh was you know the the box and who could blitz and 
how those things were limited really to wouldn't say necessarily to give the offense an advantage, but to allow those offensive linemen uh, to be in a league where they could develop and focus on some different skills before they, they got to some of the crazy things that all those defensive coordinators know how to do. So just looking at that league overall for you, how, how did that help you in the way that you looked at the game? Yeah, you know, it was so much fun. It's probably, it lasted about four months. Um, you know, I was in San Antonio from the you know, first week in December through, you know, mid-April. Um, but just from an overall coaching standpoint and dealing with the, the kids, I mean, it was probably the most fun I've ever had coaching and just being around such a great group of uh, of players and coaches with Coach, you know, Coach Riley, Jim Grobe, um, you know, just some great guys. But really, when you look at the, the scheme part of it, you know, we had such a limited window that we really had to be tight with what we were going to install. And I remember our first uh, coaches meeting offensively, Coach Riley saying, hey, if we install something today for minicamp, I want it to be what we call in that first game in February. You know, so really think, you know, how are you going to teach this? And everything that goes in has to fit into what you're going to develop in the season. And, you know, because I don't want to be two, three weeks into the season and we're drawing stuff in the dirt because we didn't get the, the right stuff installed initially. Um, and then thinking about those blitz rules, you know, initially we were thinking protection-wise, okay, we can simplify this. We can give the back, you know, give him one, give the O-line, you know, the other two of the, of the backers, and we can get the back out into some of our – our stuff faster and, you know, the whole line not having to deal with, you know, complex <laughs> pressure packages, anything like that. But as the season went, what would happen is the refs, some of them weren't, you know, they weren't used to calling in the game that way. And so they might miss a call where, you know, I remember specifically, I think it was the Orlando Apollos, they brought six and, you know, you, and we were watching them getting ready to play them and they, you know, hit the Memphis, knocked the Memphis quarterback out and the refs missed the call, or even if they flagged it later, we're going, well, yeah, but he, that guy still hit our quarterback. And so we ended up kind of changing from keeping it, you know, just keeping the protection rules pretty pretty standard and pretty normal um, just to guard against because people would, end up, you know, end up bringing a pressure that, you know, you weren't uh, – yes, they, it was illegal, but they still could bring. Um, the other thing we saw just – in general, though, you saw less pressure, but the the other thing, too, that we found out is that the the defense alignment, we felt like we were a little ahead of the offense alignment. And so there was certain guys uh, like DeMontre Moore for San Diego that nobody could block in the league as a defense alignment, as a defensive end. And so still, even though they're bringing less people, we had to think critically with how we're going to protect and you know, are we going to be in a six-man protection? Are we going to be in a seven-man and chip the, the back out or line a tight end up over the top of him and, and try to chip his way out to help that tackle? Um, you know, how are we going to do those things? And so you still kind of went through a lot of the same issues protection-wise that you normally went through. Um, you just didn't have to worry about the amount of, of different looks. So. For you, looking back at that league and, and again, the, the variations in the rules, I guess, what was one of your favorites in terms of uh, something that's different from, you know, typical NFL, college, even high school rules? Um, well, just the, the length of the games were, you know, without the, 
you know, the, the TV timeouts were shorter. The, you know, the game typically was done in about three hours. And, you know, compare that to a, a college football game on Saturday where all of a sudden you're getting four and a half, five hours. Um, it's a long time to be out there. Uh, the play clock was shorter, so the in and out of plays was quicker. Um, you know, we really, uh, really enjoyed that that piece of it, just how the speed of the game, how it went faster. I loved, as an offense guy, I loved not having kickoff and uh, kick return. You, know, you did the coin flip, and, and however it sorted out, we got the ball on the 25-yard line, and I could pick the hash, um, you know, or, or vice versa. I thought that was a fun way to start the game. It was, all right, here we go, let's just play. Um, and that also with limited roster, you know, with us carrying, you know, 53 guys on the active, I think we had five as a kind of practice squad. Um, you know, your, your time's so limited, your bodies, you don't, you don't want to wear them out. So not having to practice kickoff coverage, kick return was awesome. Just being able to increase what other stuff that we could get done during a, a limited amount of time with limited bodies. Um, and I really liked the, that there was no extra points that everything was a two point conversion. Um, you know, it was fun for as a play caller and it made us kind of rethink our plan, you know, early in the week, instead of, uh, you know, a lot of times in college football, you're at least for me, it's been the, you know, more Wednesday, Thursday, later in the week is your red zone. And then your goal line and you might practice, you know, you're practicing your one, maybe two, two point plays for us. We would have to get that in at the start of the week and we would start, you know, the first like a Tuesday practice in the you know with a two-point play and we'd run three three or four of them and have those game planned and ready early in the week because they were so important you're looking at developmental leagues and, and right now uh, I, I believe the XSFL plans on coming back I don't know that they see themselves necessarily as a developmental league but it is that spring league for those guys who, who don't make it to the NFL um, how important do you feel those leagues are to our game moving forward? I I think, you know, if they can figure out how to make it work money-wise and and get somebody to trust that it's, you know, give it more than a year and give it time to grow, um, it's so needed, especially with the quarterback play. Um, you know, our quarterback, for example, our starter, Logan Woodside, um, played at Toledo, you know, was a seventh-round pick and got cut by the Bengals ended up with us, played, you know, and everybody's telling them, hey, you need more game film, you need more reps. And you're going, well, I'm not getting, you know, how do you get reps? Well, you got to go play. And so for Logan, he was able to come to us, you know, start start six games, play really well, get back, got hooked up with the Tennessee Titans, was on their practice squad going into 19, and then was the backup to for Tannehill this year in 20, and is made now making a career, and it's the same um, quarterback for the Arizona team, John Wolford. I mean, he was the backup for the Rams. Um, I think uh, Garrett Gilbert from Orlando was, you know, ended up as the backup for the Cowboys. That I know the XFL guy Taylor Heineke had a great playoff game and was the starter for the St. Louis team. And so you can see, I mean, there's so many stories of guys like that that need that, and they just need reps. Another great example for us was Greg Ward. Uh, quarterback at Houston, you know, almost led him to the Cotton Bowl, but had never played receiver. And so he gets to the Eagles and, you know, he just needs reps of running routes and catching the ball and, and game reps doing that. And, you know, you just don't have time to do that at the next level. Um, so for us, he, he had a great six games and, you know, played his butt off and worked hard every day. And now he's going on, you know, just signed another contract with them. And 
you know, those, there's a million stories of guys like that out of our league that just need to play more. Um, and there is a, you know, there's not everybody's ready, right. To, to go from college football to, to play on Sundays and, you know, but there is some hope for guys to develop and, and grow. And I just think, you know, it, it just makes so much sense to, to have that minor league developmental system that a guy can go play and get game reps and have a chance to make a career out of it. Yeah, definitely. And and I know all of us who just love watching the game and uh, and, and having more football would like to see more of that moving forward. Uh, Coach, flipping to the X and O side for you, uh, RPOs, something that you love to do. Uh, talk to us about how does the RPO for you fit into the run game? Yeah, you know, for me, um, it's been a huge part of what I've done offensively and just kind of what, how I, I feel about offensive football. Um, you know, we, we made the decision at Idaho State kind of going into 2014 that we were going to attach every run play. We were not going to run a run play without a, a throw, an RPO option to it. Um, and when I really think about RPOs, I, I don't think about throwing a bubble screen or, screen or a quick screen out. I think about throwing quick game down the field or a sling, you know, a five-step post, that type of stuff. It's second, third-level RPOs. To me, that's, that's what it is really about. Um, and what I really liked about it is, you know, on paper, I would, you know, you're, you're running zone and you've got the bubble attached to it. Um, you know, the back of the ball snap, the back, we're stepping up in the box. We've got numbers on the perimeter. You throw the bubble out, the wide receiver misses his block and you get hit for a, for minus three. And that always really bothered me. And in my thought, it's like, okay, if I can just, if I can do the same thing, but now may I can run an out with the slot and the, if the quarterback can throw it and that guy can catch it, you know, at least I can guarantee myself four yards, which is the same as an efficient run um, in my thoughts. And so how can I develop a, a system to work in all my quick passing game with, with the run action? Um, and we were able to develop over, you know, kind of a couple of years there at Idaho State, given the cue, the ability to, to make checks based off coverage and leverage that could get us into the right quick game to attach to our, our run game. And then it just came our system of that's what we practice every day. Um, and I think about my dad growing up, he was a, a split back veer guy and we would start veer drill quarterbacks, the, the pitch guys and the, the running backs in February and everybody knew exactly, you know, how that running backs track was going to go, the relationship between the queue and the, and the pitch back, you know, being, we were, we were seven yards apart with one yard of depth as the pitch back in. And I tried to kind of take that same thinking of, of training those RPO quarterbacks, like he's an option quarterback. Um, and then putting in the, the thought of, you know, this is our system and we have our system of checks that we use all the time, but you've got to train guys to do it all the time. Um, you know, and I think too many times what happens with RPOs is guys, they want to, they want to run it because it, they want it to be a piece of it, but maybe the, the program doesn't, the head coach doesn't completely believe in it or the program's not, you know, there's not all in with it. And I think if you're going to do it, you've got to live with the fact that the quarterback is going to hand the ball when he should have thrown it. And he's going to throw it sometimes when you wish you had it blocked well, but his rules telling him to throw it. Um, and you've got to be okay with that. And you've got to live. You can't beat up the quarterback for, 
when he was right, when he was wrong, you've got to teach him why and explain to him the, the parameters and, and, you know, what the thought process is and, and live, you know, just like, again, growing up as a son of a veer guy, you know, it's, hey, and I teach the keys this, sometimes you're going to, let's early in the game, you might be looking at your key and you're given, you're given, and then now we're throwing. Um, and when we do throw, it's a, it's a big play. Or we're starting out on the other side and it's, it's throw, it's throw, you know, and then we're getting that defense into a too high shell and now we're giving it, you know, and being able to let him, you know, wrap it through it enough to ha- get through all the different looks and, and control what the defense is doing a little bit. When you look at that aspect of that quarterback development for you, what were some of the key tools that you would use to refine that mental process to make sure that you're getting more of those correct decisions than you're not, even though they may happen at some times. Again, tools, whether those are are individual drills, group drills, uh, classroom time, walkthroughs, et cetera. What, what things did you feel worked best in helping develop those guys in the RPO game? Yeah, um, you know, I would say it's a mixture of what you just said. It's a, a ton of time together in the classroom, getting them to understand opponent defense in coverage and what the defense is trying to take away, uh, you know, when we're in certain formations. And them also having an understanding of, of how we're blocking the scheme. You know, how many guys, at a bare minimum, the Q need to know how many guys we're blocking with and who is he controlling. So if we're blocking with, with six with the, the offensive line and the tight end, well, now you're responsible for number seven to the box, however that appears within our scheme. Um, you know, we might be in 12 and we're blocking with, with seven. Well, okay, who's our eighth defender and how are we going to, you know, put him in conflict? Um, in the queue, having a great understanding of opponent defense, and that happens in the classroom. And then being able to walk through and being on the same page with the receivers. So when we would line up to do like routes on air every day, you know, it would be me and maybe another coach, uh, Mike Ferreter, Coach Fennessy, and, and we're showing different looks of, of leverage that we're going to see, you know, out of cover one, out of cover three, in the queue working through all those different checks with the receivers. Um, so then the receivers get good. They start seeing the, the leverage we're looking for um, and they know exactly what the check's going to be. So it's not a surprise to them in, in repping through those looks. Um, and then it's obviously the practice, the, the team time of giving them enough, you know, as an offense may not carrying so much offensively that you can't get your RPO run game repped enough. Um, I think sometimes if we get too many, you know, you get too many schemes and too many things, then you get real average and everything instead of just, hey, let's get really great at a couple core concepts and how of our run, our RPOs fit with that and then build from there. And it might be a couple-year process. Coach, jumping ahead to where you're at now and it's one of those things for all of us, there's been transitions because of, of all the things we went through with things being shut down, et cetera. Uh, a bit of a transition for you and working for a company now called Vertical Rays. Uh, what do you do now? And what's the, what's the thing that that company does that can help football coaches out there? Yeah. So I work, uh, I work for a company called Vertical Rays and, you know, we help uh, teams and groups, high schools, nonprofits raise money across the company. Uh, you know, we, uh, for me, it's been a, an interesting transition because initially I, I felt like as, you know, the AAF ended and then kind of COVID hit and I wasn't able to land any a college coaching job yet. And, you know, I started and I had long conversations with my wife of going, you know, well, 
I know how to teach inside zone. I know how to teach four verts, but how do those apply to the, the real world? And when you really get, get going and, um, you know, do dive into something else, you start realizing, okay, well, you know, recruiting and talking to all the high, the kids and go and talk to coaches, that's no different than sales. And, you know, and for me, you start seeing your, you know, different skills that you've worked on over your career. You just applied it and towards football. Now I can apply it towards a different way. And so I'm able to help, uh, you know, I help kind of as a sales coach with all of our new, new hires across the country and help them get their territory going and overcome different objections to the sales process. Um, but it's been really fun and rewarding just to, you know, kind of take some of my coaching background and skills and apply it in a different way. And, and also just for guys, just to realize that there is other opportunities out there. And, you know, one thing I really enjoy about, about my job is I control my own, my own time. Um, you know, and I have more time for my family, more time with, uh, with my wife, uh, more time to p- pick up other hobbies other than football and, you know, that, that part of it is, is hard to, you know, you can't put a value on that because your time's short anyway. Um, but also just a, a company like ours, you know, we, we love to hire ex-athletes and, and coaches and, you know, it's been fun to connect. We probably have about 15 different ex-college coaches working for us and, uh, you know, just telling different stories and connecting about people I know and they know and um, getting guys to understand, yeah, you do have more skills than just, than just being a football coach that that stuff applies to us a ton in the business world also coach when you look at everything you do um, whether that's with your guys on the field or those sales guys you're training now but you get down to it what's the the one thing that really gives your players the winning edge um yeah i think it, you know when it really gets down to it is we you know it's it's about preparation it's about attention to detail and it's about getting guys to you know like to say get yourself comfortable being uncomfortable and putting yourself in a new position and not being afraid to, to fail. Um, Cause when you do fail, I think as a coach or, or a guy doesn't do something the way, well, it's, is that a, was it an effort issue or was it a technique issue? You know, and it's, I can help with the technique issue, but maybe the effort issue, that's something we, that's on the player we got to work on. Um, but it's really getting guys to feel to build confidence in, in what they're doing and, and not be afraid to fail. And when they do knowing that you as the coach or me, if I'm working with a new, a new sales rep and maybe the wasn't able to close the sale that, Hey, let's, let's look at it analytically. Why that, you know, logically, why didn't that work? And what were the reasons let's fix those and get you back out there and not be afraid to go do it again. Coach, what's the best way for our listeners to connect with you, whether that's to talk some ball, talk some RPO, or learn more about how Vertical Rays can help their program? Uh, yeah, you can just search. Uh, um, if you search Matt Troxel on, on Twitter, um, you know, just you could send me a direct message. I'd love to, to visit with everybody, anybody on there. I think it's mtrox uh, or Coach Trox. Uh, 11 is my uh, is my Twitter handle, um, but that would be a great way to connect. And I'm, anybody out there that wants to talk ball or – interested in trying to find other opportunities please uh please reach out coach again thank you for taking the time it was great to have you here and I look forward to seeing what you do in the future whether that's continuing to work in the space you're in or getting back into the game awesome thanks Keith thanks for having me on thank you again for listening to the coaching coordinator podcast 
please, if you are enjoying the podcast, head over to iTunes or Spotify and click five star for a rate. If you have a minute, write a review. It really helps the podcast. Check out our new home for the Coaching Coordinator podcast. That's at coachandcoordinator.com. And follow me on Twitter at Coach K. Grabowski.